The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the podcast, I had my good buddy Sammy Reed come on the show to discuss a topic that we have danced around a lot on the show. You know, we've talked about obviously daily fantasy sports, season long fantasy sports, uh, cryptocurrency, just every type of gambling that there is, you know, sports betting, everything. But we haven't really talked about poker that much, and you know, we've had guys who have played poker on the show before, you know, obviously uh, CSU Ram, Adam Levitan, you know, a lot of those guys have played poker before, but we've never really talked about what playing poker would be like now, and Sammy Reed, my buddy, uh, who you guys know from listening to on the Gilcast, he obviously is a pretty big poker player, has been playing live poker uh, basically for a living, kind of, for the last six months, and I thought that it would be a cool idea to have him come on the show and talk about, you know, what it's like playing poker like right now, and maybe, maybe some of you guys will be inspired to go out on the tables. Uh, you know, if you guys really like this episode, maybe it's something that we could do again. Uh, but I, I had a good time talking about poker because poker is really fascinating to me, really interesting. And I think that, uh, you know, as sports betting, uh, continues to be legalized in the United States, I think poker is going to follow pretty close behind it in terms of legalization as well. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash TateCast. You can subscribe to Daily Roto, dailyroto.com. Uh, use the promo code Janis, J-A-N-I-S, for the best projections and tools in Daily Fantasy. Or if you don't want to spend any money and you want to support the show, just leave a rating and review on iTunes. That will be very helpful. So thank you very much and uh, for, for all of that. And let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, I'm bringing in one-third of a fish, Sammy Reed of the Gilcast. I know some of you guys have asked for Nate to come on the show, like without Sammy, like just me and Nate. Here's the thing, though, 
Nate's a boring dude. Like all Nate wants to talk about is like Taco Bell and Red Bull. And eventually he is going to come on the show. Eventually we are going to dig into the mind of Noling. But Sammy and I have been talking about doing a podcast about poker for a long time. And I just had Ed Miller on the show, uh, the last episode of the show. You guys, if you're listening to this in chronological order, I know some of you guys don't. But Ed Miller's wrote a bunch of books about poker. I recently have started playing some online poker again. I'm not the expert in this conversation as pretty much every time I have someone on the show. But Sammy does play a lot of poker. And in fact, you, 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 you were there for the Mike Postel incident. So, so you're, you're a grinder, Sammy. You're a real grinder. Yeah, I think that that got me some industry cred that I've been taken by Mike Postel live and direct. Yeah, like you, you, you have been owned by Super Goat Mike Postel on live stream before. That is correct. Yeah, and you know, I I think we both figured that this episode would be pretty fun because I think most people that listen to your podcast probably like poker. Maybe they don't play it all that often they, these days. I, but I would assume the average person that listened to this played poker before Black Friday, used to watch the World Series of Poker on TV, knows who Phil Ivey is, knows who Tom Dewan is, but probably has not watched televised poker in five years and probably only plays around their holidays with their family. That would yeah. be, that's the, the median. Yeah, that, that's you basically. I play, there, online. There, it, I play online every once in a while and I watch on TV every once in a while. But yeah, that's basically what I do with poker now. Yeah, exactly. But I think that poker really attracts like the kind of person that probably enjoys your podcast. People that like crypto and like DFS and like stuff like that. You know, poker really attracts kind of the, the same kind of mind. People that have the same mindset. Yeah, I mean, because poker is just daily fantasy sports with different inputs. Poker is just sports betting with different inputs. Poker is just investing in cryptocurrency with different inputs. It's all a way of taking some risk and saying, I am going to be smarter at taking this risk than all of these other people in a similar market, more or less. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that people of, I don't want to say we're the same generation because I'm way more boomer than yeah, you. You're, but you're like, literally, like you're literally twice my age. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting RIP'd early in the pod, which is, which is good. We can, we can get that out of the way. But, but yeah, like it, I think people these days, especially people that are into these sort of things, um, you know, the, the way our society has worked very much is people sell their labor, right? And, you know, hard work and sell your labor. And I think people these days are very much realizing that if you have some sort of skill or some sort of outlet where you can literally just use your mind to make money and not rely on a boss, rely on hours, rely on a company, you know, all those things, you can just use your mind in an independent manner to make money and profit for yourself. Um, that's really appealing. And so those are the outlets where DFS and crypto and poker really come into play. That's, I mean, that's why I like poker. That's a lot, a big part of why I like Bitcoin. It's a big part of why I like DFS, just because of thinking like, okay, I have this money and I would rather this money not just sit and make a bank rich. I would rather be able to do something with this money. And obviously we are super early on in poker becoming re-legalized in the United States. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's just three states right now. It yeah. is... New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and one other state that I'm not remembering right now? Uh, it's Vegas, sorry, uh, Nevada, and Delaware, I believe. 
not not okay, Pennsylvania, so Delaware. Yeah. Uh, so, three, three, I think. But honestly, like I'm a little out of touch with the online world. So give me a break if I'm speaking incorrectly here. Right. And I mean, everyone, of course, like remembers playing on Full Tilt and Poker Stars and everything. I would assume many people that listen to this podcast played on Full Tilt and Poker Stars. I would imagine there are many people listening to this podcast who were big winners on those sites probably some people who were big losers on those sites as well. And probably some people who played like the daily dollar free roll on full tilt. Like, I mean, like my, my literal introduction to poker was playing free rolls on full tilt when I was like 12 years old, because my dad was super into poker. And like, I would assume that that's kind of how, like, I think most people probably found poker online first before they started playing it live. Yeah, and they were definitely railing the high-stakes games and asking for $5 in the chat. I mean, that was the best. Yeah, yeah. That was, was I mean, who who did not rail the Isildur games and, and, <laughs> and be like, hey, bro, send me five bucks? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think probably the, the first question to ask is, let's say someone's listening to this and they're like, man, you know what? I did like playing poker. Like, I really enjoyed the experience of playing poker. It's very similar to DFS. And, you know, I, I kind of just want to go play again. So what is going to a live game like now for you? Uh, going to a live game is great. Um, because here's the thing. So poker has really evolved, especially in the online space. People that play online these days are generally really, really good. So, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, it's just been, you know, a survivor bias kind of thing. People that were really into it stayed. And a lot of people when, when Black Friday hit in America dipped out and went to Thailand and went to, you know, other countries, Mexico, so they could continue to play. Um, they left the, the, the land of the free and home of the brave so that they could do uh, something that they wanted to do. And so there's a lot of high level play on there. People playing with optimal frequencies. You, you jump on, you know, these high roller tournaments that are on TV and these guys are just playing like game theory, optimal, I mean, just crushers, right? You'd stand no chance against these guys. But when you walk into a casino and you play a, a two, three game or a two, five game, the people are still egregiously bad. They're so bad. And if you're anything good at poker, you can literally just walk into any card house and probably hold your own. And if you put any time or effort into it, be a winner. Because the people who frequent live games continue to be awful at poker. So I, I've played... Um like a, a fair amount of live poker. I, I, I in college, uh, Jordan Case and I, who some people listening to this podcast will remember or, or know from the old Fantasy Insiders days, uh, we used to go play this weekend $50 tournament at like a small Native American casino right outside of Manhattan, Kansas. And that was like, that was like our, our live poker experience for a while. And, and Sammy, do you know the, the cash game that they would have at that casino after the, if you had to guess the cash game they had after people started to bust from the no limit $50 buy-in tournament, what would you guess the cash game that people would start playing with the dealers uh, on the side? Uh, like a, like a two, four limit game. Omaha, Omaha, high, low, one, two. Oh, like straight D-gen status. Amazing. And I actually, so like, obviously I started playing a little bit of Omaha, high, low, which is like a fascinating game. And somehow people are, are worse at that game than they are at, uh, at no limit. But I think, uh, I think a, a, a definition that would need to be proffered is 
what is someone who like, what are some of the things that people who are mega bad at poker, what are, what do they do? Like, what are they doing that is mega bad? So I think that 90% or like 95% of people who play, you know, like medium or low stakes live poker, they come at the game from a fundamental misunderstanding of poker. Everybody who shows up to the casino thinks I'm going to go and I'm going to make good hands. And that's yeah. how they think that they, you make money at poker. And this kind of makes sense for a couple reasons, right? Number one, because the first thing you ever learned about poker, when you were sitting around a table with your college buddies and you're like, oh, let's play poker. The first thing you figured out is what hands beat what, right? A full house beats a flush and a flush beats a straight, et cetera, et cetera. And so the very first thing you learned is the hierarchy of hands. And so the first thing you thought was, okay, I'm going to try to make a hand that's as high up on this list as possible. That's better than everybody else's. And then you get chips. And then it's like psychologically reinforced through the fact that when you make a full house or you make a flush, generally you get a lot of chips uh, kind of pushed your way. And so everybody thinks the goal of poker is to make good hands and that's how you make money. But the reality is, is that's really far from the truth because you know if you and your buddies played 10,000 hours at a table, you'd all just make the same amount of good hands. You'd all get pocket aces the same amount of times. You would all, you know, hit sets the same amount of times, et cetera, et cetera. There would be no edge in making good hands. So that can't be the way that you actually make money at poker, but that's what people generally think. And so every decision that they make is guided by this principle, I'm trying to make a good hand. And that really is, is destructive to good play. And we can talk about that a little bit. So, yeah, let's, uh, I mean, let's talk about it. So let's say you get like your average live poker hand. You are, uh, and, and we don't have to get like un, you're under the gun, like, uh, oh, I'm, I'm plus one, whatever. Like right, we don't right. have to get mega, mega technical. Like, and, and I'm not even really capable. I mean, maybe when I was like 17 and doing nothing but uh, reading poker books and smoking Marlboro Reds, I would have been able to like figure out. Uh, oh, that's awesome. A, that's that's still actually what I do. <laughs> that's still but, what I do, except I vape instead. Yeah, yeah. well, cool. that's fine. Good, good cell phone, buddy. Good cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> average average hand of poker sitting there you're live position doesn't matter you get your two cards and just where where does the thought process of someone not bad at poker go uh so let me let me kind of turn around and ask you a question if i were going to ask you where you thought that money in poker was actually made, what would be your answer? As somebody who doesn't play a ton of poker but kind of understands game theory in a general sense. I would just assume that it's done through people who are just playing poker to have a good time slowly funneling to people who are really good at it or take it very seriously, whether that be through tournaments, whether that be through playing 2-4 No Limit Live or whatever. It, it would just be it, – it's not done with regs beating each other, I would guess. Yeah, so I think you're kind of getting to the answer that, that I think is the answer, which is where you actually make money at poker is when people make mistakes. When other people make mistakes, there's equity that kind of spills onto the table, and then people who aren't making mistakes scoop that equity up, right? Um, so I'll kind, of, I'll kind of give you like a football example, right? Think of the Kansas City Chiefs right, who have one of the best offenses in the NFL, all good offenses do this, is that all their plays kind of start off the same, 
right? So the Chiefs, like, think of, like, one of their offensive sets that they do all the time. They run Tyreek Hill on, like, a jet sweep, right? And they do a lot of things off this. They can hand it right to Tyreek Hill on the jet sweep and let him hit the corner. They can fake it to him and do a quick pop pass to Travis Kelsey. They can, you know, just give it to Damian after the fake jet sweep. They can play action and then come back to the other side on a screen to Damian Williams. Uh, this is a Damian Williams stand podcast, right? This is this is for I mean Damian Williams, by the way. <laughs> like just complete aside here, everyone who gave me shit about Damian Williams, you're all so wrong and you're so bad. And even if you'll never admit it, you all know it. Everyone who faded Damian Williams knows that they were wrong. I just wanted to give you the opportunity for this. This is why anyway, I chose this continue, example. Continue the analogy. Right. But basically what Kansas City is doing is they're starting off, and we, and we see this with other teams too, right? Last year, the Rams, they did everything out of 11 personnel. The Patriots run play action and they pull their guards. So it looks exactly like their power run plays. All these, all these plays start off looking the same. And what it does is it makes the defense make mistakes. You know, the defense funnels toward Tyreek. And then all of a sudden you hit, you know, Kelsey behind it or, you know, the, all their guys are out of the position. They think one thing's coming and another thing's coming. And so I don't know if this is a good analogy, but what a good poker player does is he starts off all his plays the same so that his opponents don't really know what's going on until it's too late. And then they make mistakes. And then you take advantage of those mistakes. I, that's a real like general theoretical idea, but that's how profit is made. Yeah, I mean, and that is true of like, that that is like a DFS thing too. Is like just time after time after time be forced with decision points and make the decision point that is profitable over time. Right. I'll just I'll just give you an example. Like so, what a good player will do. Say there's two limpers, and a good player picks up pocket threes. But what I think a good player does is raise those threes. Even though what most players would do, bad players, if they had pocket aces, they would raise their pocket aces but a bad player with pocket threes would limp their pocket threes. Imagine not raising with pocket pairs after watching Joe Kata. (laughs) Imagine it. Imagine like literally my whole life is is, my whole poker life is guided by the principle of like, dude, if I see pocket pairs, I'm a happy camper. Yeah. Cause sets are good at, at winning money. Right. But the idea isn't to hit a set. The idea is you want to raise because what a bad player would do is limp behind because they want to see a flop cheaply. Right. And they want to try to flop a set. And if they don't flop a set, they get out of the way. You know, if the flop comes 9-8-7, they just get out of the way. Um, And if it comes 9-8-3, they're in business. But that's coming from a mindset of, I'm trying to make a good hand, right? And they just leak money all over the place. Whereas a good player says, okay, I'm going to raise, I'm going to isolate people. I'm going to play this. If I had pocket aces, I'd raise. If I had pocket kings, I'd raise. If I have pocket deuces, I'd raise. If I have six, four suited, I would raise. They're starting out all their plays the same because they're not relying on hitting a set or making a good hand. What they're going to do is raise the pot, make the pot big, play in position, and you know really take advantage of the fish's mistakes. Um, because the fish will, what the fish are doing is kind of forking their ranges into like good hands and bad hands, right? They raise their good hands, they limp with their bad hands, trying to make, you know, good flops. Um, Whereas good players don't do that. They start off everything the same and you can't really decipher what they have. And that's just a a way to play powerful poker. 
But bad players are just like, dude, I'm trying to get in there, see a cheap flop, and make a big hand and stack somebody. And that's just like what everybody at the table is trying to do, and it just doesn't make any money over the long term. I mean, there, there's certainly, I, I think the, um, this, like a, a way that people talk about poker is like first level, second level, third level, fifth level, whatever. And like the, the first level is certainly turn over my two cards. How do these two cards turn into the nuts that gives me the most chips basically? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And people tend to be really optimistic pre-flop. They think yes. about, yeah, they think about all the ways that this hand could could make a good hand. They have 9-8 offsuit, and they're like, well, I could make a straight, and I could make a hit into pair, and I could flop top pair with the 9. They think about all the good things that could happen with this hand. And then, like, 90% of the time, nothing good happens with it, and they fold after putting I'm, in some money. I'm, I'm very familiar with this fish logic, as uh, I, I certainly have played a number of hands exactly <laughs> like this. Like, And, and uh, I mean, the so the number one thing that you will hear from bad poker players like this is this is universally true this will be true at a casino this will be true playing with your family your friends whatever is the card the the flop will run out blank four four and the person who folded eight four off will be like oh i folded the four. Oh yeah yeah instant instant sign that that's a fish yeah like like the the person that thinks about things that way is first leveling it Again, speaking from personal experience. Right. And, and your personal experience, I mean, here's the thing. Like, when you go and play live poker, the other thing that, that a lot of bad poker players do, again, they're way optimistic about their pre-flop hands, is they play way too many hands. And this makes sense because, dude, live poker is slow, bro. You play like 30 hands an hour. You drove yeah, it's, 20 minutes uh, to It's get- like the worst freaking experience dude it's if you're someone like me who has trouble paying attention to anything like even things that are interesting and move fast and then you go play live poker you're just gonna be like trying to get it like i mean i've told i've told sammy this like every time i play live i might be i might be playing sharp for like 12 hands and then i'm like okay i'm bored i got it i just gotta get it in like i gotta i gotta force some action i gotta make something happen because i like literally sitting there and doing nothing is just painful for me yeah i've definitely gotten a text from you a couple months ago where you're like yeah i got stacked with pocket sixes pre-flop i had to get it on bro i had to get it on (laughs) yeah and it's just like it is like it's not like i would ever be like oh it certainly was the mathematically correct thing there to uh go like 8x the pot on this race it's just like it's just it's i mean a very big skill in playing poker is just like physically doing what you mentally know the proper thing to do is because like you're gonna emotionally want to do stuff that is stupid I mean, that's a really, really good point. There's going to be so many times when you say, I know the right thing to do is this, but I'm going to do this instead. Like actually paying attention to your brain is a really big skill. But I mean, I think you hit on a really good point. The majority of people who go and play live poker, you know, they just got off of work. They're not, you know, they got off of work at four. They don't have to be home until eight. They drove 20 minutes to the card house. They had to wait for 20 minutes to get a seat. It takes 20 minutes. Home. They got a couple hours to play. You think they're there to fold four-fifths of their hands, 80% of their hands? Nah, dude. They get King-10 offsuit. It is time to freaking roll, bro. Yeah, like, it's, that it's time is, to get in. Yeah, like they didn't come here to fold. But the reality is that if you have that mindset, that's just a fish mindset. But that's the mindset that 90% of the people who play live poker, at least like lower stakes poker, 
um, will have. And that's just leaking equity all over the place. You love to see it though. You do. You, you really do love to see it. I mean, the live poker uh, ecosystem is extremely alive and well. I mean, it is probably the softest venue of poker that you can possibly find. And, you know, for, for me, uh, I don't know if you know my story, Davis, but I used to play, uh, I used to play full tilt for a living uh, back in the day, right? And I played professionally for a couple of years. Black Friday happened. I was out and I went and got a job and a career and went corporate and really didn't play live poker until a year and a half ago when I just walked into my local card room with 400 bucks. And I was like, you know what? I miss poker. I just want to go play. This was a year and a half ago. And I yeah. sat down and I was still just way better than everybody else. Not because I was great, but because they were just so insanely bad. And I found it to be a lot of fun, you know, like it's not fast, but dude, people there are generally friendly and it's social. And I know it like, is, the it, yeah, that is cool. It is cool to just like, and, and you get people from all kinds of walks of life, you know, you'll get truck drivers and I mean, people who are definitely too poor to be playing poker in a card room, you'll, you'll get oh, some of that. Yeah. And then you, I mean, then you'll get, uh, you know, rich kids who are there. Uh, I, uh, some, um, when you play poker in the Midwest, you don't get this, you don't get this so much. I would imagine on the coast, but you'll get like families who like go to like casino style resorts as like vacations. Oh God, like they're, yes. They're like, they're like hotels and they have golf courses and stuff as well. And you'll get like the kids, like the, you know, the, the 19 year old kid, he'll go and play poker and get, you know, he'll get dusted off in like eight hands. Which is that's all that's always a kid you're wanting to see at the tables. Oh yeah, and uh, and those places are taking like a ten percent rake from every pot. It's just like a straight money maker. But you know, I'll, I'll say this: if you're listening to this podcast and you know you're like, "Gosh, I do miss poker. I want to go play," and you go into a live venue, the first thing you're going to do is probably hit the lowest stakes, which is like one two, where you buy in for two hundred bucks, or two three, where you buy in at three hundred bucks, and. Uh, Ed Miller writes a lot about this in his books. Um, but if you go to the lower stakes games, there's literally only two skills that you need to be profitable. And those skills are, you need to value bet well when you have a good hand and fold well when you don't. That is all you need to do. Like you don't need to you range. Just get, yeah, you gotta, you gotta get paid when you have good, like I, I actually think that getting paid when you have good hands is, I get that, that's actually easier than learning to fold. Like learning to fold is just hard, dude. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, it, and, and that's the thing is like a lot of people are very optimistic with their hands pre-flop, but post-flop, a lot of times they're scared to bet their good hands because they're afraid of the monsters under the bed. They're afraid yeah. of all the hands that somebody else could have. They get pessimistic after the flop. This isn't every player, but that's a lot of players. Um, like, let me, let me give you a hand example. Say you're playing low stakes, right? And you have ace-king in early position and you raise and one person in late position calls you, right? And the flop comes ace-nine-eight, okay? You have ace-king, the flop's ace-nine-eight. You bet and he calls. The turn is a seven. So it's ace-nine-eight-seven. You bet again and he raises. What do you do? I don't know. What's the, what, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say what I do. Cause I refuse <laughs> to say something that people on this podcast can use to mock me later on. I jam it in bro. I jam yeah. it. No, I mean it, in, in a low stakes game, you should fold here all the time. You should fold here all the time, right? You have ace king. It's ace nine, eight, seven. 
this guy could have jack 10, he could have ace 9, he could have ace 8, he could have ace 7. He could have made two pair with 7-8, um, you know, 7-9 suited. All these hands, what he doesn't have is ace-jack. What he doesn't have is ace-3. He doesn't have an ace you can beat. People don't play hands like that. Um, but what a lot of people do is they anchor onto their, their hands because they're like, shoot, I have ace-king, and when the flop comes, all you're looking for is an ace or a king. And when you hit it, you're like, yes, it's lit. And, uh, and then you get raised. Dude, low stakes players are not bluffing you here. Like fold your hand. I mean, um, I, th- I just think in general, good advice would be if you just treated low stakes players like they're never bluffing you, that's got to be plus EV. Uh, you are 100% correct. And, and the reality is people won't, people will bluff you occasionally. But if you look at it over like a long series of hands, like overall, they're not bluffing you enough for you to, for your folds to be unprofitable, right? Say they're bluffing you like 5% of the time. You can just fold 100% of the time and show a profit. Yeah. Does that make sense? And so say the same scenario occurred, you bet the turn and he just calls and the river comes a four. Some people shut down here and they just check their ace king and they get checked back. You should be betting here all the time. You should be betting because if the guy had a better hand, he would have raised you on the turn. You know what I mean? You have to get value for your hand here. But some people see like, you know, the, the skeletons under the closet. Oh, he could have two pair. He could have had a set. He could have hit ace four on the river for two pair. And they get worried about all these hands that the guy could have. It's like, you deal with that later. You need to bet your hand that rates to be best here. And it's just such an easy example, but you need to bet when you have the best hand and just, and just let it go when you don't. These guys are not bluffing you as much as you think they are, especially low stakes guys. They're playing I ABC. Certainly, I certainly don't have a problem not bluffing, but uh, I mean, a, a, another point that we should make here is, is bluffing a fish is, is not great. You probably just should not do that because they're uh, not going to fold. Yeah, that, that is correct. And that's why at, at the lowest stakes games, all you need to do is bet well and fold well. You don't need to bluff. And that was a big adjustment for me when I moved from 2-3 to 2-5 is that the, the players at, at the lowest stakes games will just stack off with top pair, right? If they have king jack on a king high flop, you can just bet, 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 and they'll call you all the way down, right? And they'll, you know, they'll, they'll stack off with that hand. When you get to like two five, and for people that don't know what that is, it's like two dollar five dollar where you buy in for a grand. Um, the players there generally have figured out that you don't go to the felt with marginal hands, right? You don't just call all in three streets with marginal hands. They've figured this out, and so you need to start bluffing at this stake because you need to take advantage of the fact that they will not stack off with marginal hands. Because in No Limit Hold'em, people almost always have marginal hands. It's very hard to make really good hands. Right. Yeah. So it's a marginal right. game. It's the, way it's the way it works. Exactly. So when you start moving up, bluffing needs to start becoming a big part of your game because otherwise, like when I first moved up, bro, like I got, I got waxed because I was like, dude, every time I have a good hand, these guys just fold. They won't pay me off at all. And yeah. so I didn't know how to beat them, but then I kind of figured out, well, if they're not calling uh, when you're betting big, you need to start betting big when you got nothing. When you start bluffing, um, you need to take pots off from that way. So when you start moving up, bluffing is a way bigger part of the game. Yeah, I mean, and, and that should just be you. I guess that kind of leads us into the next thing, which is just like 
what data points can you use to determine how good your opponent is, right? Like that, like reading their hands, um, uh, setting up ranges, like things like that. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's where like good players really excel is, is figuring out what kind of player people are. And there's a lot of things you can tell. Like I never wear headphones at the table because I always want to hear the way people talk. Right. If I hear people say, oh, I folded eight four when, you know, two fours flopped, I know he's a fish immediately. There is no other data point that I need. Right. If I see a guy who, you know, counts out, counts out his chips one by one and puts them into the pot, you know, it's like, I know that this guy's a fish. There's a lot of ways. Disrespectful, bro. I'm sorry, bro. I'm really sorry about that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I, here's the thing, though. I don't like I don't have to pretend to be good at poker because I'm not really. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. Most poker players got it. I don't know if you remember the first world series that moneymaker played in, but there was this guy Dutch Boyd who they did like one of those little like 10 second, you know, uh, uh, interview blurbs on. And he said something that always stuck with me. He said, poker's like sex. Everybody thinks they're really good at it. But the reality is, is that most people have no idea what they're doing. And that remains true to this very day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that. Uh, I mean, it sounds sounds just about act. Sounds just. I mean, truly, everyone does think they're good at poker. Like even people who are 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 downright bad. Like people are just like, oh yeah, no, I'm pretty good. Absolutely, and I think it's just like anything. Where the more you learn about poker, the more you realize you don't know. You know, the more you get into it, the more you realize just how deep poker is. You know, I the better and better I've gotten. Uh, I've just realized that I'm so far behind these guys that are playing these high stakes tournaments. It's crazy. I mean, they are just so insane. Um, but you mentioned like hand reading a, a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, I, I can give a piece of advice that has really helped me out um, in terms of hand reading. And that is that I work backwards. I, I try to figure out what players don't have rather than what players do have, if that makes sense. You know, like you start off and they can have all these yeah, possibilities. Like, like this guy, this guy can't have this because of X, Y, and Z. Exactly. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. I legit played this hand just the other day. Um, we're playing two, five, ten. So there's a $10 straddle. So small blinds, two, big blinds, five. And then there's a $10 straddle. Um, the last three players. So the, the hijack, the cut off the button, all limp for $10. Uh, small blind folds. I complete. 10 in the big blind with seven, four hearts and the big blind, uh, the straddle checks. So there's five people in the pot. I have seven, four hearts. I'm first to act. Okay. The flop comes King Jack seven with the Jack of hearts. So I flop bottom pair with a four kicker and a backdoor flush draw, right? I have seven, four hearts, King seven, King Jack seven flop. I check, 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 check and the button bets 30 into 50. Okay? Yeah. I ra- okay. he has about he has about $600. I raise to 110. Everybody folds, it gets back to him, he thinks about it for a minute and he folds. Right? Why did I do this? Because of the hands he can't have. Again, the the flop is uh king jack 7. Here's okay. what he can't here's what he can't have. He can't have pocket aces right? He limped behind two other limpers on the button. He can't have ace king. He doesn't have pocket kings. He doesn't have pocket jacks. He doesn't have pocket sevens because I have a seven, right? So there's only one possible way you could have pocket sevens. 
literally the only, and that goes for like King seven, that goes for Jack seven. I'm blocking a lot of the two pairs he can have. So really the only hand that's good that he can have is like King Jack uh, for top two pair, but there's very few ways he can have that. Generally what he's going to have is a lot of, you know, Jack 10 middle pair, top pair, weak kicker, straight draws, right? He has a lot of BS hands. I don't know exactly what he has. But what I do know is what he doesn't have, and that's the nuts, right? He doesn't have the top end of hands. So I raise because I can have all these two pairs, right? I can have all these hands. Um, and he doesn't hand read as well as I do. He ends up folding. And, and obviously when I raise to 110, it's like, for him, it's like, oh shit, this hand just got serious, right? He's just kind of trying to take the pot. All of a sudden, oh shit, this hand got serious. This dude's raising to 110. I only have 600. The next bet's going to be 200. All of a sudden, he's worried about getting all in with his hand, and he doesn't have the nuts. And so he ends up folding, and I pick up, dude, this is a boring little baby pot. It's 80 bucks, right? But 80 bucks is a lot of fucking money, right? You play eight hours, that's 10 bucks an hour. This is where your profit comes from, is seeing these spots and just realizing that this guy has capped his range because of his actions already. I don't know what he has, but I know what he doesn't have. And if you can find just one or two of these spots in a six or eight hour session, your win rate will go way, way up. Right. So that's, that's like just one I played the other day that, that I think illustrates that well. It's pretty good stuff, man. Hey, thanks. Man. It's, it's what's, what's so interesting to me is that you're, you're so much more thoughtful about, uh, you know, just like figuring out someone's ranges than you are like figuring out the difference between Ian Thomas and Tyler Higby in a given <laughs> week. <laughs> let, let me tell you, bro, if I spent a quarter of the time uh, thinking about DFS that I do about poker, I'd be a way better DFS player. Like, yeah, you'd uh, just be, be mega minding lineups every week. Absolutely. Like, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm an okay DFS player. Like, I'm profitable. I make some money. I'm no huge winner at all. Um, I'm, I think I'm like barely above average, right? Uh, poker, I spent so much time on. I literally study it every day. I think about poker every day of my life. I read something. I watch a YouTube video. I review a hand with a buddy. Every single, and it's like going to the gym, bro. It's like every day that you even think about poker discuss a hand, like think about it in some way, you're, you're exercising a muscle. And over time, that muscle gets really strong. Even if I don't play, like I just had my kid, I didn't play for, for like two and a half weeks. Every day I was watching some video or talking about it. I still felt sharp when I got back to the table because I'm still exercising that muscle. And that's something I would recommend to people too, is always like, if you want to do this at all, if you want to play cards at all, dude, start consuming uh, just as much stuff as you can on a daily basis. I mean, that's, I mean, that's good advice for poker. That's good advice for the markets. That's good advice for anything that you are um, trying to use to make money. So let's say person listening to this podcast, they, they, um, they're like, wow, dude, da like Davis is a fish guys like that play. I want to go take money from guys like Davis. And I want to use advice from guys like Sammy to go take Davis's money. I I'd like to, I'd like to go play some cards. How would you go about doing that in the year of our Lord, 2020? I mean, it's so easy. Like, I live in California, which is basically the hotbed for poker. Like, Los Angeles is probably the best single place to play cards right now. I live in Northern California. Dude, if you live in a, you know, podunk Midwest, uh, like Davis Maddock, I'm really sorry. 
But I don't. Little, I don't live in the Podunks anymore. There are plenty of card rooms around. No, nah, you, you've moved on up. But generally, there's always going to be card rooms, dude. Find one. Just just Google. You can go to a place called Poker Atlas, which will show the card rooms in your area, and just type in your city and see what there is. And if you haven't played in a while, like go play the lowest stake, right? Go play one two. Bring you know a couple hundred bucks and call in and just say, hey, you know, my name's John. I'd like to go, you know, put me on the list for one, two. Generally, you can call into places so that like you're on the list by the time the you list, get there. Right. Yeah. You want you want to save your time. Right. Um, and especially like if you do this semi regularly, you want to like that will increase your your dollar per hour. Right. Just that you're not wasting time. But call in, put yourself on the list and just go. And I mean, just play reasonably tight and reasonably aggressive and, you know, understand that, that all these people are playing, uh, they're coming from a mindset of, I'm trying to make big hands. Don't do that. Right. Just attack them when they don't have big hands, they will tell you. Um, but, but yeah, just the mechanics of it, like, dude, go to poker Atlas, find a local room and start playing the lowest stake and just kind of go from there. I don't think there's any substitute for actually going and playing. Um, you know, that's, that's going to be the thing that, that does the most for you in terms of yeah, like so, figuring stuff out. I, I mean, I also think that there's something to be said about not just uh, rushing in. Cause there is like a, you know, there's time commitment and the barrier of entry. Like it's like a little bit higher, obviously than you know, going to go uh, play like in the, the Millie maker where you can just enter it, you know, one twenty buck entry or whatever. So um, like, what are, what are some of the favorite resources that you've used to like think about poker? Oh, so, I mean, you, you mentioned Ed Miller, right? And you had him on your last pod. I listened to like half of that. And dude, Ed Miller is basically like, dude, he's the stone nuts. Like he is so freaking sharp. Um, and I would start with his books, right? He wrote, he's wrote a number of books, but the ones that, that have really helped me out personally that I think are great. I would start with just a book called Small Stakes, No Limit Hold'em. Um, and then you can move to, uh, a book called The Course, which to me is like probably the best poker book I've ever read. Um, it just is such a, it's like a, a Bible of live poker. It's so good. And then once you consume that and you've actually played some, you can move on to a book that he wrote called Poker's 1%, which really talks about poker from a frequency perspective. Uh, like I said, what most people do is they play their hand and what poker's 1% really teaches you is that you, you're playing your range instead of your hands. And then you start constructing ranges off the table to fit certain optimal frequencies. Um, this is what the high stakes pros do really well. Um, and that, that's really high level stuff. Like I read that a couple years ago and I didn't really understand it. I went back to it last year and it made a lot more sense. So that's really advanced. But poker's 1% is like, if you can consume that, and understand it, you're, you're way, you're just so far ahead of the game. Um, YouTube videos, there's, there's a bunch of vlogs out there that I think are really entertaining. Andrew Nimi and Johnny Vibes and Brad Owen, those are really fun. Uh, I would consume those just for fun, uh, if not for educational content. But there's a guy named Bart Hansen who runs a site called Crush Live Poker. And he just does like call-in shows where people call in and talk about hands. And they're like 10-minute videos, Crush Live Poker. And there's a million of them on there. And Bart Hansen is just super, super sharp. Um, and you can, you can just watch those. I watch those at night when I'm going to bed. Those are great. And then there's a podcast that I really like called Just Hands Poker, 
uh, by a guy named Jack Lasky uh, from Solve for Why, which is really sharp. So, dude, listen to a podcast here and there, read a book. Ed Miller is just the stone nuts. I'm, I'm just like so pumped that you had him on the pod, and I'm really excited to to read the sports betting book. I haven't gotten into it yet. Yeah, sports betting. Uh, I, I actually think sports betting is harder to be good at than playing poker. So yeah. if you just, if you just, yeah, yeah, because. Um, at the end of the day, like you're playing, you're playing directly against computers. Now there are, there are beatable computers and there are holes in sports betting, but it is, I think more, I, I think it is more difficult and the books and casinos have a way bigger edge on you than like your fellow human beings do. I, I think that's probably true. And I think that's one of the things that, that really appeals to me about poker is like the public is generally square. You know what I mean? That's how the books take advantage of, of, of sports betting, right? That's how they make a lot of money is that the, ge- the, the general public is square. The thing that I love about poker is you're playing against the general public, right? If you are good, you are the house. Um, so you're not playing against an algorithm. You're not playing, you know, against a market, um, even though a market is more the general public, but you're playing against actual people who are generally square. And, and there's just so much explosive profit potential in that. And frankly, dude, poker is fun. You know, I think if you're listening to this and you enjoyed poker once upon a time, do this. Like, find a local card room. Go out there. You will find, if you play the lowest stakes and start out there, you will find that it's not intimidating. It's not hard. You'll find out all the little nuances and rules within the first couple times you play. And you can win if you're, like, any sort of reasonably good at poker. It's just so profitable. And you know, for me, it really like reinvigorated my love of poker. You know, it's something that I had so much passion for back in the day. And I really kind of lost it uh, after Black Friday, just kind of living my life. And to get back into it the last year and a half has been dude, really invigorating to me. Uh, I, I'm so passionate about poker. And I'm just so like, it makes me so happy that I'm now back out playing. And I encourage anybody who's listening this pod to, to go do that and just, you know, dude, play twice a month or whatever. Like it's no big deal. You don't have to be a professional, but dude, poker is fun as hell. And, uh, and it's very profitable live. So the, uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, poker is really wrapped up in this sports betting legalization that, and, and sports betting I think is going to come first, but it would not surprise me if the average U S citizen was able to play online poker in like three years and not that we'll, you know, repimp out this episode or anything like that, but you know, kind of just how, like, do you, do you think from just your experience of the people at the table that would we need another money maker kind of situation to get, you know, loads of people back playing online poker? Or do you think that it's just kind of like a natural evolution thing where people would again find themselves playing online poker? So I think a little more of the latter. I don't think it'll ever be like it was in the mid 2000s, right? Um, where just everybody and their mother was playing poker. Like literally people's moms were playing online poker after their kids went to bed. I don't know that it'll ever be quite like that, but I think people like poker. I mean, there's a reason why Black Friday happened nine years ago and there's still poker on television. There's still a market for it. When I walk into the casino, there are still full tables and a wait because people really enjoy poker. They, they enjoy it. Um, and I think, if you, I think if online ended up coming back, I think that there would be uh, plenty of market for it. I think there's a couple things that are important, right? Number one is that uh, there's a chance that the states would be segregated 
right? So there would be a California only site and a Nevada only site and a, you know, South Dakota only site. That would suck. Um, I, I think. Yeah, that would be really trash. Need, yeah, that, that's huge trash. So I hope that that doesn't happen. Number two, I think that something that's really important if poker, online poker comes back to the U.S. in a regulated way is that the same challenge faces online poker that, that, that faces DFS. And that's that I think the general public who just like plays it recreationally feels like it's shady, right? We saw this. It, yeah. They think, right, they think there's, the, the, there's an advantage. People don't play DFS right now because people have algorithms and people, you know, bum hunt fish and people are colluding to make 300 lineups instead of 150. They feel like the sites are inherently unfair and cater toward the high-end players rather than the amateur players. And I think that this is a huge mistake that DFS sites make. Um, the way that you, the way that, and so putting that to online poker. Well, I mean, D- DFS sites, it is a mistake, but only in the sense of like, you can't like those guys keep the lights on at DraftKings. Like the dudes, like the dudes entering 150 lineups into everything. Those are the guys who are keeping the lights on. Like my my mom playing, you know, one ten dollar entry a month, not not keeping the lights on. No, for sure. But I think it's a very short sighted view, and it's just like trickle down economics, bro. Trickle down economics does not fucking work. What works right. is if is if you start the money at the bottom, the money goes up. If you look at this from a DFS or, or a poker perspective, dude, you you're gonna it. get you're gonna get so many people hating on you now. Bro. I don't, dude. I mean, come at me and tell me the trickle down economics works, please. <laughs> I will fucking bury you, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> let's let's go at Sammy Reed FI. Um, it, it's Sam, Sammy Reed FI. <laughs> <laughs> I be <I mean>, positive. <laughs> but here's 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 the real way you make a DFS or poker ecosystem is you cater toward the amateur players. If there are enough amateur players and, and dead money out there, the sharks will be there regardless. You have to make food for sharks to eat. If all the food dries up, the sharks will eventually die. That is exactly what's going to happen. Um, that, that's just the way it is. So uh, I don't know that you need to cater to these guys that hard. What you need to do is, in, in a poker perspective, what, what was happening is people were – they had they had scripts where they could their script would automatically like find fish in the lobby and yeah. and seat them to the to, to the the left of the fish. Um, they have uh, huds up, you know, heads up displays so they could see everybody's stats in real time, and you could data mine when you're not even at the table. Uh, in tournaments, people literally have solvers up on another screen that are telling them what to do with certain hands. Uh, if you want to like really get online poker back to a spot, you have to get rid of all that stuff. And Phil Galfond uh, recently opened his own poker site that does a lot of this um, because it has to be a thing where everybody feels like they're on a level playing field. They're not going to show up and just get murked by somebody who's got all these scripts and technology. And I think that the DFS community sites could, could really take a page out of this. The reason why DFS isn't growing is because people lost their money too quick. Um, I mean, let's, well, let's be honest. It, it about is this. it is an unsolvable problem. Like it 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 would have been solvable in the beginning 
but it's it, it's an unsolvable problem that in poker it was just not worth the ROI for Phil Ivy to go play one cent, two cent, but there is no barrier stopping anyone from playing literally every available game in the lobby on DraftKings. That's exactly right. And, and I think that if you want to continue to grow your base, continue to grow your customers and get a lot of people playing, they have to get the idea that everybody's on a level playing field. Even if it's not true, they have to feel like they're not going to go in and get murked by somebody who's colluding with somebody else and, you know, doing all that stuff. But the sites don't care. The sites are catering toward these high-end players, and I get that they pay the bills, but, dude, you are going to lose your food supply over time. We've seen this. Like, it's just an immutable fact. And I mean, and we're I all, I mean, like, not even we've seen it. Just, it, it, it is, it's here. It, like, it's we here. are living in that reality. That's right. Um, DFS is not growing. Right. It is. Yeah. The, ed- the edges are getting smaller. And, and we literally saw this in online poker years ago. It, it's just history repeating itself. I love DFS. I want to continue to see it thrive. I would like to see new players trying it. Um, but if you take the fact that, that the average person thinks that DFS is quote unquote rigged, I mean, it's not, but like, you know, they, they're not going to get a fair shake. When Dude, I swear, my, I swear my buddy saw five aces on party poker back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that sort of stuff. But, you know, if you take that plus the rake in DFS, uh, that, that honestly is too high, it makes amateur players lose their money too quickly. You're killing your food supply. And long term, I just don't think it's sustainable. I would like to see those things change. And if online poker ends up getting regulated and brought back into the United States on a legal level... Um, I, I think those would be things that would be really, really good for the economy for sites to figure that stuff out and, and go about things in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is, I think that that is all probably pretty accurate. I mean, I just, I, I, let me tell you my dream. My Please. dream is to just be able to lose like 10 big blinds a day, just playing <laughs> on my phone. Like I would just like to be able to go to the gym and play one, two, and just lose like 20 bucks a day, like, like, all, like over the long term, you know, like that, that's really all I want is to be able to like, you know, not full tilt or stars, but whatever, whatever the company in America ends up being, that's what I would like. I would like a mobile uh, poker experience where I can just donk money off at the gym. I'm going to be super honest with you right now, Davis. That's exactly what I want is for that reality to happen for you too. And for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I, I would assume that everyone who's like me, who likes to gamble for fun, wants that. And then all the people who like to gamble for money also want that because that because then you have a scenario where people are depositing and not feeling bad about themselves. Exactly. Dude, make it accessible. Make it fair. Um, and, and, and people will come, people like to gamble, bro. People like to freaking gamble, make it, make it happen. Like I I just, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of short sightedness, um, in terms of like, in terms of, uh, money. And dude, if you just look at this long term, like there's so much money in DFS and sports betting and poker, and it's only greed that, that makes it not happen. IMO. Uh, and I mean, like the, the, the thing that's so interesting to me about gambling legislation is you would actually think that Republicans would be the ones against gambling for moral reasons. Oh boy. Here we go, baby. (laughs) It's actually the reverse though. If you look at gambling legislation, it's, it's Democrats doing consumer protection stuff. Yeah. Well, exactly. Because Republicans, which is so freaking annoying. 
it's wild. Republicans tend to believe a lot in personal liberties. And yeah. I'm, I am fully on board with this. Like personal liberties, if it's not hurting anybody else, um, it, go for it, bro. Go for it. And obviously there's a line you need to draw when your personal liberties start infringing on other people's. But at the end of the day, like it, it should be your right to do with your money what you want to do with it. I mean, everything in this fucking life is a gamble. If you invest in the housing market or the stock market or, you know, whatever it is, you're, you're gambling, right? There is a certain amount of skill inherent. There's a certain amount of chance inherent. And those things come together. It's hard to say how much percentage it is of both. But, dude, everything in this life is a gamble. Um, and if you're sharp, you put your money in positive expected value situations. The good people come out, out on top. The fish don't. That's how, that's how this entire world works. But to have some moral, like, compass against being able to gamble? Bro, I mean, that's just, it's, it's a very bad scene. A very tough scene to put yourself behind from a moral perspective. It's just, uh, it's just very frustrating to, to, I just, I don't know. I just wish poker was legal. Like literally after we get done recording this podcast, I'm about to go to the gym and I'm not going to be able to just like, like be jamming in pocket pairs while I'm on the treadmill. And that's frustrating. It is, but, but you will be able to make showdown lineups for, for this weekend. It's very, which is very important. It is very important. All right, man. Very good show. Um, if you guys are interested, if you guys want to hear like more about poker, if you guys like this show, let Sammy and I know. Uh, maybe, maybe we could do something like on the paid feed. Like maybe I can go like try and play. Like I, I actually just was looking. We were doing this. There's a couple of casinos around me that do tournaments on the weekend, and maybe I could go and play those. And we could do I don't know. We could do hand histories or something. Because like I, again, I know probably some of you also are listening to this show, being like, oh my god, these guys are literally the biggest poker fish in the world uh or or at least or at least i am like i i don't i i pretend to know about a lot of things that i don't know about but poker is something that i don't even pretend to know more about than i actually do i just i just find it really fascinating so i hope that you guys like the show and uh we will of course be back at some point in the future Do you ever wish you could get more from your podcast well you can with buzzfeed daily hosted by me casey rackham and me, Zach Stafford. On our show, we've got more good news and more pop culture. More memes and more celebrity tea. More of everything that's blowing up your timeline and trending on the internet. Every weekday evening, we're giving you more of what you need to enjoy your day. Because what's life if it isn't to be enjoyed? What's more enjoyable than everything fun and exciting from across the world of BuzzFeed? Yes, if you've ever loved a video from Tasty, Cocoa Butter, Pero Like, Nifty, Goodful, or BuzzFeed Celeb, we'll have something for you on BuzzFeed Daily. And don't forget about great interviews that break down all the weight, what, from the internet and beyond. Whether it's the world's preeminent astrologist, the star of your favorite streaming show, or maybe even the person behind that TikTok, you know the one. If they're making you smile, we're talking to them. Listen to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's been 30 years since the first episode of Beverly Hills 90210. 30 years since we walked the halls of West Beverly High and since we all hung out at the Peach Pit. Relive it all with Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling on their new podcast, 90210MG. We get to tell the fans all of the behind-the-scenes stories that actually happened. Join them as they rewatch every episode of the beloved 90s TV show from the very beginning. Listen to 90210MG on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.